The State of Recruiting is brought to you by 24-7 Sports and the Horns 24-7 Network of Podcasts. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast platform of your choice. We also invite you to listen to the other great shows on the Horns 24-7 Network, including The Flagship with Taylor Estes and Chip Brown and The Longhorn Blitz with Jeff Howe and Rod Babers. Thanks for listening. Now on to the show. Welcome back to this week's episode of the State of Recruiting, your weekly Orange 24-7 recruiting podcast. I'm Mike Roach, and I'm joined as always by Hudson Standish. And we've got a big show for you. It is Alabama Game Week, a huge recruiting weekend on tap for the Longhorns. Before we get into all that, Hudson, how's it going? Doing good, Mike. Really excited for the game this weekend, and it's going to be a lot of star power in Austin. It's pretty exciting. You know, I did the 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Podcast today with uh, Blair Angulo uh, to kind of set up the same thing. And he asked me, he goes, who, you know, we saw at Ohio State last week, LeBron James was there on the sideline. And you see these guys every week. He said, who might the luminaries be in Texas? And I said, well, you know, Matthew McConaughey is always going to make an appearance uh, at a big game. I said, the Undertaker's shown up a, a handful of times. I think that's possibly in the cards. Who else off the top of your head do you think might uh, might make an appearance this weekend? That's a good question. I think you nailed the uh, first two. I mean, I don't know. It's not like, you know, Sandra Bullock showing up would like move the needle with recruits or anything. I'm trying to think of other uh, Austinites, uh, you know, Elijah Wood showing up and there's just, you know, I don't know. Xena uh, Amoslo is just a giant uh, fan of the Lord of the Rings franchise or something. Does, um, does Lance Armstrong still show up to stuff, or is he kind of persona non grata? He he did uh, quick plug. He did a Tejas coffee that was pretty great. I know he's still in Austin. He still shows up to things, but you know, I don't know. I, I don't think that again. <laughs> if you showed him on the jumbotron, or, oh, yeah, there's no recruit that's going to be like, oh, awesome, Lance is here. You know, I'm trying to think of who would be somebody cool for recruits. Um, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I, I think some recruit. Gone. No. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, what I mean, depending on the recruit, Willie Nelson might have some some pull still. Yeah. Um, Brooklyn Decker, Andy Roddick, uh, Brooklyn Decker for different reasons than Andy Roddick. Probably. I know the U.S. opens in full swing, but I don't know. I just learned that Andy Roddick was an awesome. I, I learned it from our good friend Guy who's going to join us later on the show. We were in, uh, in Austin last week and he told me to go to this place called 24 diner. Um, and we had it for breakfast next morning and it was great. And he said that Andy Roddick's like apparently always in there. So, uh, oh, yeah. I did not know Andy Roddick was in Austin. Right? So another, another, uh, person that did a Tejas coffee and his was incredible. His was awesome. Well, let's get into it before we get into Alabama and, and everything coming up this weekend. 
First things first, Texas did get a commitment last week. Um, and I had to call you for the official scoring from our uh, specific things draft because I thought this was a, a subject of a 2024 commit would happen this fall. Um, it was on the fringe, unfortunately. Nobody picked it. It went undrafted. Uh, so nobody gets points for it. But Texas did get a 2024 commitment kind of out of the blue from Clear Lake's Hunter Modden, a guy you and I both like, a really athletic, long, uh, two-way player. I, I think, you know, Texas likes him a lot as a receiver. I think his snaps on defense are just as impressive as his snaps on offense. A uh, guy that tests really well, uh, has really good track stuff. And, you know, when you look at kind of what they want in their athletes, big, you know, it's a, we say all the time, it's a size speed game. Um, and and big, long, athletic, that, that's what they're getting in, in Hunter Modern. Mike, it's such an impressive take this early. When we saw him at the Elite Bash event, I remember that we wrote in our notes and even published, I believe, that like Texas is probably the leader here with um, Baylor. And, you know, there were some other big time schools. I believe Hunter Modden ended up uh, having a Georgia offer as well. But it just felt like Texas was in a really good spot. And I talked to Hunter the day before he committed and he gave really good quotes and, you know, wrote about it in the contact window thread. But honestly, him pulling the trigger that early did surprise me a little bit. But as soon as I got on the phone with him, you know, probably 30 minutes after his commitment, it was pretty clear that this was just something that him and his family, I don't know, thought made sense at the time. And, you know, Brennan Marion just adds another one to his list of impressive guys that he got to commit to Texas early. I, I really like his game a lot. I agree with what you're saying about his potential on either side of the ball. I mean, with what Texas likes in corners, he has the length and the speed to be something special. But, you know, Brendan Marion's a little selfish. He's like, no, I want him, uh, you know, as that Z receiver in uh, Steve Sarkeesian's offense. Yeah, and a kid that, you know, I think we had it pegged correctly when we, when, like you mentioned, when we saw him uh, during that elite camp and, and came out of it. And we did write that, in fact, because I was going back and looking through some older stuff we'd written about him. And now that weekend had written that, hey, we think Texas is in a great, great spot here. Um, I think that we had that pegged. I wish, you know, we would have had, it, it, this happens from time to time where commitments catch us by surprise. And I think what you mentioned with Hunter, when a kid just decides, hey, I'm just going to do it today and I don't need a video and I don't need to get a bunch of things ready and I don't need to hype it up on social media, it's got the chance to take everybody by surprise. And so <laughs> there we were just enjoying our Fridays, getting ready to go to games and, uh, and that popped up. So big one. Uh, I really like, you know, the, the class they're putting together in 24 so far. I, you know, I think I've always been a little more bullish on Jaden Allen than a lot of people. Uh, and and I, I know that with his brother already on the team, that was kind of a foregone conclusion. But I, my mind keeps going back to that state title game a couple of years ago when Alito played uh, Fort Ben Marshall and Jaden Allen as a, I believe, sophomore was uh, literally, I thought, the best defensive back on the field in that game. And then you add in what Aaron Hampton from Dangerfield brings athletically, there's a lot to like. Absolutely, Mike. It's, it's starting to you know, build into a really impressive 2024 class. I, I think that, you know, there's a chance for this 24 class to match 23. Obviously, I kind of don't see them getting the headliner that's Arch Manning, but it, it is an impressive in-state group to start things off in this 24 class. 
Now, what they do at quarterback, I think, is going to be a major talking point and is going to be interesting to see exactly how they handle that in that cycle. Well, speaking of impressive 2024 prospects, there's going to be impressive 2023 prospects, 2024, 2025, and 2026 prospects on campus this Saturday uh, for the Texas-Alabama game. One that you know, I was thinking about this. I remember when they announced this this series, and I think they announced like Michigan, which is coming up in a couple of years, around the same time. And I thought, man, that's so far off. I can't even think about it. And then like now it's here. And I remember in 2018 when it was announced, thinking, well, Texas has some time to get up to speed before they have to get on the field with those monsters from Alabama. Right, right. Uh, I don't think that's quite happened, but they're going to have their chance uh, to make an impression. We've got a full list. Uh, up at Horns 24-7 of visitors, and we'll hit those highlights. But before we get into that, I think I'd like to know, you know, going into this, obviously not many of the national expectations are on Texas. I think if you're against moral victories, you're going to have to, you know, get comfortable with taking a moral victory in this one, most likely, uh, if Texas plays better than expected. But what is – people have asked us a lot, you know, what is – what are recruits looking for in this game? And we've talked to a lot of recruits who have all said, we just want to see how they compete. I think Texas is at a position of strength almost because the expectations are so low, because nobody really expects them to pull off a victory, that if they play better than expected, they can come out with a perception win. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I think you nailed it. Honestly, you know, kids don't think this way, right? But if you're competitive in the first half and you make it a game and you get Alabama in those situations to where DKR is rocking in the third quarter, that's what recruits really enjoy. Even if, you know, the 20 point spread ends up getting, you know, blown past late and Alabama and Bryce young, you know, score three late touchdowns and it's the scoreboards a little bit more lopsided, just be have those moments to where, recruits in attendance are thinking, man, Texas actually might be able to do this. Like there, there might be a chance that Texas can pull this upset just to create those moments. Let me posit this question to you because like I said, I think everybody's expecting Texas to kind of get buried here. I think the Vegas spreads kind of reflect that Uh, it has to be, I think we were discussing has to be the biggest uh, home underdog they've ever been. Yeah, I mentioned that Texas only has had like 16 or they've only been a home dog since 2003 when, you know, the data that I use, it goes back to 2003. They've only been home dogs like 16, 17 times. So a 20 point dog, I can't imagine any time. And I looked back through even the Charlie, like the bad Charlie Strong teams and couldn't find anything above like, you know, 15. So I think back to that 2019 game against LSU. And, you know, a lot of people will put that 2019 LSU team up there as one of the best teams of all time. And Texas, I think, played them tougher than anybody on their schedule that year. My question to you, how would you stack up this Texas team versus that Texas team? And should that example give you some hope of playing a little tighter game? To answer that question, I've got to go to a little bit of an uncomfortable spot, right? I prefer Steve Sarkeesian as the head coach compared to Tom Herman. I really do. I, Cause I do, I think that his ceiling as the head coach is higher than Tom Herman's, but 
what I think about is that Tom Herman in one-off games or when, you know, the team was an underdog really always seemed to step up and at least be in the game. So, you know, if, if I compared this Texas team to the, uh, Sugar Bowl winning squad. I mean, I'd give the edge to the Sugar Bowl winning squad, but I do understand what the your logic of, you know, <laughs> there a Keontae Ingram dropped pass or a competent third and 17 play call away from, you know, going to overtime or potentially even beating a team that most believe is one of the best of this, you know, half decade, decade or so. I don't know, though. It's just one of those – I. I do like what Steve Sarkeesian brought out in the Red River shootout last year to open the game, but I'm still debating whether last year's struggle to close was primarily that team or the players, or maybe that's indicative of something of his program that we'll find out. I'm just not as confident that they're going to be able to hang around. I hope they do. I really do, but I don't know. I I guess that's my long-winded way of, articulating some of the thoughts I've been having relating the two. Well, like I say, I think with the expectations low, if Texas can play to within, you know, 14 or 10 points, that's obviously a win for them, I think, coming out of this game on the recruiting aspect uh, from a perception standpoint. I think if they win, in the the unlikely event they win, uh, we're going to be writing all kinds of crazy hype pieces come Monday. Uh, But if they get blown out, you and I were talking about this before the show. I don't think it's as big of a, a hit to recruiting as, as we think it, as, as most people would think it, it might be. Yeah, absolutely. And there might be one or two or who, who knows how many, but there could be a couple one-off cases or not one-off, but there could be a couple cases where a recruits turned off by an embarrassing loss and removes Texas. But for the most part, Unfortunately, this is a Texas program that's recruited at a top five national level, despite a five and seven season and a loss to Kansas last year. Right. So it's not like um, getting shoved into a locker by Nick Saban, Will Anderson and Bryce Young is going to make any recruit think anything like it's just going to reaffirm a lot of the Texas really has to has strides before they get to that level. On the other hand, something that we hear a lot and, I kind of find this baffling, but it works a ton is a lot of recruits will see that and then be like, man, I can play right away. Like the players that are on the field, Kelvin Banks, um, you know, I think Ethan Burke's going to get some more time this week in a big time showdown against Alabama. Like Jalen Gilbo for sure is going to play. Right. So I think that just makes it that much more appealing to some kids, not all, but some that like, Hey, I can go to Texas and play right away, man. Yeah, I I think that recruits never view it as doom and gloom as fans do. And I've said all week, I think the upside for them is much greater than the downside in this game. Now, I do think there are levels to blowouts, right? Like 52 to 17 is a blowout, but like 70 to 3 is a, oh my God. You don't want to get Oregon georgia Yeah, it's something like that. I think, you know... And look, I mean, this team proved – or last year, you know, Arkansas basically made them inept on offense. Iowa State did the same. You know, if you have one of those types of performances, but I think if they can move the ball a little bit, put a couple scores up, 
stay, like you said, stay tight within that first half going into the third quarter, then they do have a chance to, to come out better than, than I think most people thought they would. Uh, yeah, I, I just absolutely, Mike. And I don't know, again, just being in the game in the second half, I think is going to make every single recruit just that much more excited, like to the point to where no matter what the score is, like just give them those moments and put on a really good show. Like all the focus is going to be on this game. And so most of the recruits that are there, it's not only that they're at a football game and that they're at a university of Texas football game, right? It's that they're getting to post on their social media, on Twitter, on Insta, on TikTok, like stuff from the biggest event of the weekend. Right. So it's not even, I guess the mindset change, it's not even about just being at the game anymore. It's about we're getting to spend a whole day in Austin when the focus of the college football world and, you know, a ton of people are going to be liking my stuff. Like that's just kind of how it is nowadays. Yeah, I tend to go back to last year's game against Oklahoma State, which was their biggest recruiting weekend of the year. And they lost that game in a pretty embarrassing fashion. And I stuck around afterwards to talk to a lot of recruits that were like, hey, we had a good time. And we hung around for a while afterwards and we liked the staff. And it, it's never quite as doom and gloom as you, as you think it might be. Um, let's move on to the visitors this weekend. Three official visitors top the list. Jalen Hale, the uh, four-star wide receiver out of Longview. Cecilia Kana, a four-star edge rusher from uh, Lehigh, Utah, Sky Ridge High School. And then Deuce Robinson, the five-star tight end from Phoenix, Arizona's Pinnacle High School. Uh, uh, an impressive list of visitors, guys who all represent great needs. Uh, let's start with Hale Hudson. You've been kind of talking to some people around that recruitment. Where do you see things as of right now? I mean, there are a couple of different camps on Hale. The people that I talk to do think that Texas still leads, and it's just a matter of can they close this recruitment out with Alabama and Texas A&M really trying to um, wedge in there. I, I think that his relationship with John T. Cook does matter a ton, and I think that that's something Texas really has done a good job of, of kind of letting John T. run a lot of this recruitment on a peer recruiting standpoint. And I don't know. I, I get the sense that with a good weekend and a good visit, Texas really could, even even if he does decide to um, visit AM, which I, you know, first reported uh, after his first game of the season, even if he does take that trip, I think Texas could get enough distance to where it's a wrap. But, you know, you got to be careful. This is probably the recruitment of everybody that's going to be on campus where an Alabama blowout makes me start sweating a little bit. Yeah. And as we said multiple times on the show, you can just never really count out Alabama in any. It's, you might say it's literally a like pillar of the show. Yeah. It's one of our, uh, one of the things we say most often. Um, all right. Uh, to Celia Kana, I think that Texas has a chance to make a move with Akana more than anybody else here. Um, they, now they've hosted Akana last summer. They hosted him again this summer, both on unofficial visits. I think Jake Longy was a big part of that recruitment, but I, I, him leaving, I don't know how much it's hurt that recruitment. They are still coming in. Uh, I think that Steve Sarkeesian has picked up the, the, the heat on Akana really doing a lot of the personal heavy lifting in that recruitment along with Pete Kwiatkowski and Jeff Choate. Uh, and getting a kid like Akana at such a neat position on the edge where they just need pass rushers, 
uh, would be huge. I think coming out of this weekend, you know, you're really going to battle with schools like Oklahoma, LSU, maybe Oregon, um, and, and can Texas create a little separation this weekend? Very well put, Mike. I, you know, Akana is one of those ones to where as a fan, I was just kind of almost in that DJ Hicks camp of like, don't get your hopes up. There seems to be way too much smoke with OU and LSU, but I don't know. Texas has stayed firm and it seems like, like you said, this is probably the guy they could make the biggest move with uh, this week. And it doesn't hurt that his sister has just been absolutely balling on the volleyball team as well. So uh, let's move on to Deuce Robinson, who I'm probably the most excited to talk about. I can't believe that Texas gets a crack at him. And I wrote about it right after the game, I want to say, but Jatavian Sanders emergence at tight end could not come as at a better time. Yeah, I, I, I was asked about it again when I did the 24-7 podcast, and I said, well, if you saw what Texas did last week with the tight end, I think it's clear that not only – I do laugh when people are like, well, they do this with positions for recruiting. It's like, no, they do it to win games, and winning games wins yeah. recruiting. And I think adding a tight end element to this offense was what it needed, and adding a guy like Jatavian Sanders is, is what it needed. Even more so, as much as I think I, we all have respect for what Jatavian Sanders was at the high school level, I think Deuce Robinson's a better version of what Jatavian Sanders was at the high school level. And so if they can add him, and look, they're going to do battle with some heavyweights, Alabama, Georgia, USC are the schools really involved here. I also think the baseball component plays in. If Texas can pitch him on their baseball program, which has pretty strong standing, that might help. Absolutely. And the fact that Arch Manning, you know, more than likely, I reported a while back that I didn't think that he was going to be at the Texas-Alabama game. But if Arch Manning's not on campus, they crush the visit on every angle. And then Deuce thinks, okay, well, my guy Arch is the reason why I really took this visit. He wasn't even here. Well, maybe I should go to the Texas-Oklahoma game, which we've kind of talked about uh, potentially being a Arch Manning rally you know, solo uh, effort on the recruiting trail as far as hosting visitors and stuff. So, I mean, I don't know. I have a cautious amount of optimism for this recruitment. We do like to be conservative because, again, we don't want fans to uh, or, you know, listeners, anybody to, you know, (laughs) think that recruitments are are, uh, in the bag or competitive if we know in reality they aren't, right? But I don't know. I just – I'm cautiously optimistic about Deuce. Apart from those guys, there's some uh, a couple 23 visitors on campus that are uncommitted that we've got confirmed, and that's Marcus Deal, the D lineman from uh, Naaman Forrest and Garland, and Mikel Harrison Pilot from Temple. Uh, I, the Harrison Pilot one's interesting. I think that you know there was some heat there in the summer. I think the longer he waited, the the chance his spot went away uh, could happen. But getting him back on campus, obviously good. And then with Deal, I think that's still a big need to add a, a defensive lineman with his type of body. Yeah, and I'll see Deal on – a little spoiler for later in the podcast. I'll see Deal on Thursday, and I'm really excited just to pick his brain on what he wants to see from Texas this weekend because, you know, again, this is going to be an unofficial visit for him, and he's visited Texas, it feels like, a half dozen times since the start of the year. Yeah, and, and I think that there was a time where Texas was kind of falling out of it, but they've, they've really kind of had a resurgence in this recruitment. They were a school that when Deal was like, hey, I'm a D-lineman, I don't want to be talked to about O-line, they, they bought in on that. And I think Bo Davis was on him hard from the beginning. So 
Uh, that's another one I'm looking at them to make some noise coming out of the weekend. Uh, in the 24 class, a lot of big names. Uh, when you, you talk about Colin Simmons, you talk about Micah Hudson, uh, Zeno Mayazulu, Peyton Pierce, Traylon Miller. There's a lot of big names coming yeah. out of 24. I, absolutely. I think Micah Hudson's the headliner for me. This is, the again, a positive result, whether it's being competitive, and I know people hate the moral victory stuff, but, you know, just being competitive or even winning the damn game for a kid like Micah Hudson, that just sends Texas to another level. And really, I think would just, especially depending on the wide receiver success in the game, just prove that he could be a plug and play guy um, in Steve Sarkeesian's system. Something that plagued Texas with wide receivers for such a long time was that it was like, the Garrett Wilson quote of, well, I've seen too many people go to Texas and really fail with Xavier worthy, potentially being a first round pick and just the success that other guys seemingly are having in this offense. I think that's something that you can really sell to a true five-star talent like Micah Hudson. And when you talk about these underclassmen, I think with the class almost filled in 23 and only a couple of uncommitted guys being on campus, this is a great chance to establish that foundation for 24 or 25. Because while one visit might sway a Jalen Hale or Cecilia Kana, those guys are pretty far along in their recruitments. And yeah. you've got a pretty good idea, but you might be able to cement something with Peyton Pierce or Micah Hudson or Devon Mitchell in the 25 class. Who's supposed oh, to be yeah. Here. Which, by the way, Devon Mitchell is going to quickly become such a fan favorite recruitment. Like that's going to be one where we, I don't know, Mike, we're going to wake up in six to 12 months and people are just going to be asking about uh, Devon Mitchell updates every other day. Like that's just a freak athlete that people are really going to like. He's on our list for 2025 along with Landon Rink, a Texas legacy uh, and two running backs that were really high on and Riley Warmly and Tor- and Tory Blaylock. 2026, another Texas legacy, Caden Finley uh, from Alito, the son of Jermichael Finley. Yeah. Uh, one guy that, <laughs> that we're all pretty excited about. Yeah, that was one that when I confirmed it, I just had a big smile on my face because, I don't know, again, we've talked about it a bunch. Jermichael Finley, one of my favorite Longhorns of all time from around where I am. Uh, Jermichael's from Dieball and – I don't know. That, that That's one that I'm just very excited about. He's lit. Caden is listed as an athlete right now because he's just a 2026 prospect, right? He's getting uh, varsity snaps at Alito, which says a ton. Um, so he hasn't totally filled into his frame yet. So we, we're not sure exactly on what position he's going to project to at the next level. But if he keeps growing, he could be a Jermichael type option at tight end. One last intriguing name does not hold a Texas offer, but Gage Goldberg, the son of former WCW World Heavyweight Champion Bill Goldberg, uh, is supposed to be on campus this week. Bernie Champion. I I think uh, I want to say I sent you and Gabe Brooks his huddle after week one. Yeah, Uh, I mean, if he look, if he can spear the way Goldberg speared, then he might you might have a pretty good player on your hands. Uh, one, two more names. I just quickly want to mention, I will now update it from one to two to three. I want to mention three more names before we get out of here. Parker Livingstone just picked up a Georgia offer. You've been beating the drum on him, the Lucas Lovejoy wide receiver for a while. That Georgia offer makes sense from the early season tape. We've seen 
Peyton Pierce, I don't believe has played. I know that he didn't play the first uh, week. I don't think he played the second week either. He'll be on campus, one of our favorites. He will make his debut this week. Oh, let's go. And then you saw him last week, so a little tease for later in the show, but David Cabongo, one of our absolute guys in the 24 class, really excited for him to get back on campus after earning an offer at the Elite Bash camp. Really fun player, really great kid. Uh, so, yeah, and we're going to get more names, I'm sure. There will be kids that pop up on game day. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, this is just the names we were able to chase down, so there's always more. And uh, we'll have you updated afterwards, as always, on Horns 24-7. All right, before we go to our high school picks, we're going to go to a short break here, and you will hear from our sponsors. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, and it's now time to bring in the great Guy Frazier, as always, to do our high school picks. Uh, before we do that, Hudson, I am putting you on the spot, I think, a little, and I think I did this last week, but do you have our records from last week? Yeah, so um, last week, you and Guy both went 4-1, and one, and I went 3-2. and two. So I'm still in the lead with an 8-2 and two record. Mike, you're at 7-3. and three. Guy, you're at 6-4. and four. So everything tightening up? After uh, after a disastrous week one for Guy and I, um, and and I think it'll be a fun race all the way through. I did. I had to tell my dad, a, also a graduate of Irving High, that if I lose this, I got to wear a MacArthur shirt. So, um, you know, he uh, he he felt my pain on that one. Um, all right, Guy. Uh, before we get into this, uh, let's do some takeaways uh, from the high school season. Uh, from from week two guy what were your takeaways from last week welcome in and how's it going yeah yeah uh doing well a little tired uh i do have one little add-on uh from listening to y'all's first segment uh kevin durant typically sticks his head into games yeah. like this that's good big one. time yeah. early in the season before they have to report to camp and all that i wouldn't be surprised if he's there on saturday i have no reason to think he will be or won't be but no, that's a History great. Call, says he, he'd be typically at a game like this, uh, usually wearing like a Redskins hat, you know, uh, <laughs> with like a Texas basketball T-shirt. It's typically his representing his, uh, the DMV as always. Um, as always, yeah. I do think also we didn't mention it, but a ton of former players will probably be there. Oh yeah, I'd assume Vince Young is on the sideline. Derek Johnson was on the sideline last week along with Malik Jefferson. Um, and I think now that DJ is like retired from the NFL, he's going to be a guy that's uh, featured more. Guy can speak to this and I can speak to this because I think they only showed this video in stadium. Uh, I, I'm not sure it was shown on Longhorn Network, but uh, they had a pretty sweet hype video with Derek Johnson kind of talking about the history of Texas football uh, to start the game. And so I think he's becoming a, a bit more of a big player on, uh, on Texas game days. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how they how they do that. Will it be a different player highlight highlighted every week? Um, during the Mac Brown era, they did that. They would have a new face, and it would kind of show glimpses of who it was. And then at the end of the intro video before the team hit the field, uh, you would see who it was, and they would typically say something like Hookem or whatever. Um, 
So I'm curious if it'll be DJ again this next week or if it'll be another name from the past, another Texas great. But I thought the intro and all of that was a nice new touch with uh, ACDC. And I don't know, it just kind of brought a whole new intensity to DKR that was probably lacking the last couple of years. So uh, I know, Mike, I think you liked it as well. Yeah, the the Hell's Bells intro showing them walking down the tunnel was uh, – yeah was a pretty nice touch, something we hadn't seen there. And I don't know that it's going to become inner Sandman or anything like that uh, for Texas, but I think it, it, it got the crowd pretty amped up and pretty wrapped up. Guy, you will be our boots on the ground reporter as a season ticket holder. Uh, so you can tell us if they've got a different guy each week. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to see that. I, I Reading the board um, on, on Horns 24-7, it seemed like the fan feedback was pretty positive. So – yeah, as the, as the boots on the ground guy this year, I'll, I'll report back kind of what we see week to week and how that continues to improve. It's a huge leap from a couple of years ago when we had the jetpack guy. Um, I can't so emphasize that enough. Were you a student during jetpack guy? No, I missed a jetpack guy by one year. I, 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 we've gone to my family has had season tickets since 2002. So trust me, I had to watch Jet That Guy and, you know, the Mighty Fine Burgers, uh, T-shirt cannon, uh, you know, the hype crew. Yeah. The, oh, the hype crew I was in college for. The hype crew was very much a, um, <laughs> was very much during my time. Yeah. But the hype crew did everything but get me hyped. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, cr- the word cringe wasn't as in the public lexicon, luckily for the members of the hype crew. Yeah, it was a glorified ass kicking from my point of view. So not my right. type of energy. But, uh, Guy, anyway. you and I spent another week watching South Oak Cliff, um, our boys at the Golden Bears, uh, lose a game, which which pains us. Um, it does. What, what were your takeaways from from week two? Yeah, so my takeaway here is the South Oak Cliff and then also Katie Pato um, continued offensive woes. Uh, We kind of touched on a little bit of this for both of these teams a week ago. And I think in the group chat or over the phone, we we touched on it again this past week. Um, You know, both teams won or both programs won state championships a year ago, obviously uh, looking to do big things again this year. All of those goals are still very much in front of them, but one thing that's kind of become a a small trend, at least at this point, that I don't see changing necessarily this week uh, is the lack of offense for both programs. And while I can't speak as much on the the Katie Pato situation, Mike and I can speak on the South Oak Cliff uh, situation. Um, And yes, I mean, it's more or less stunk uh, to use Hudson's uh, word. Talking to several members on the Sox staff, good friends of ours, uh, I know it's something that's um, of top priority right now. Um, And and a surprising 0-2 record so far. Yeah, they've played two good programs in Duncanville and Lancaster, but putting up, what, uh, 13 points, I think, in two games, so in eight quarters is just not going to cut it. Um, And that's way behind the type of clips they were putting out a year ago. Uh, and a lot of it boils down to lack of identity on offense and, and consistency at quarterback. Um, not to go too down the rabbit hole, but but Sock did play three guys at quarterback last week. 
And talking to a member on the staff, they, you know, or he kind of relayed to me that we had to do that to show the fans that, you know, there is a little bit of a gap between the first guy and Trey Walton versus the the two guys that back him up. So they, they, you know, they had to try all their options, but I think Trey is the guy that will get them out of the hole eventually if they do get out of the hole. Um, And and I think he just needs to find some confidence. And I think on offense – uh, with the play calling and a new play call with James Gish. I think everybody just needs to kind of get on the same page and find an identity. Um, but it doesn't get any easier this week as Saturday. They get to, you know, play their uh, neighbors in DeSoto. So, you know, it you, you play two tough opponents, and now you get to have another one. So it doesn't get any easier for the Golden Bears. Yeah, I think – I think when you talk about like the offensive issues week one, we probably excused them a little bit saying, okay, it's Duncanville and Duncanville traditionally plays great defense. They're a six AD one school versus a five AD two school. Let's see how they do against a school more their size in Lancaster and, and the issue still persisted. Sock has always played strong defense under the staff, but the, the difference in them winning a state championship last year was an explosive offense that could, they could pair with that defense. And we just, we just haven't seen it. Well, and, and, you know, it's a shame because uh, week one against Duncanville, we touched on this on the pod last week, Billy Walton played probably one of his better games that we've seen in person um, in a sock uniform. And then his cousin, uh, Manny Muhammad, at least from my point of view, played one of his better games that I've seen in person. So um, they're getting guys to step up on defense, uh, but at some point the offense has to follow them and help them out. Um, they held as – you know, they held on as long as possible, the dam against Lancaster, and eventually it broke. And, you know, you lose 21 to three, and again, three points is just not going to cut it. Um, it. It's either that or your defense or special teams makes a big play. And unfortunately, that didn't happen either. Um, they, they shot themselves in the foot way too often, and it's just, it's been a losing formula so far. The positive for Sock is that they still are a 5A Division II team, and that classification has just gotten to a point to where, you know, it's it's kind of a struggle bus at the top, right? So they could actually go 0-4, which before the season, I thought 4-0 was much more likely than 0-4, to be completely sure. frank. But they could go 0-4 and still win a state title. Yeah, I think it'd be pretty tough. And I think that if they do go 0-4, the likelihood of a first or second round uh, knockout is – much more likely than a state title. But the bad thing for Pato is Pato's stuck in 6A, and they're struggling to score the ball against Conroe and Cypress Ranch, where at least Sock, I do think that Lancaster is improved. Duncanville's obviously Duncanville. Even though we're kind of, at least me personally, selling them as a true state title contender, it's it's still at least competition. Pato's in a world of trouble as far as – I'm starting to worry about them, you know, playoff bubble type team, even though their defense is so elite led by Alex Kilgore, DJ Hicks and um, Damian Sanford. Um, is it cool with y'all if I head on to my, my takeaway? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Owen to Lake Travis wouldn't have surprised me a ton heading into the season, but that program just, really over the last three or four years seems to be on a pretty downward trajectory. There isn't a ton of meat on the bone for this one other than just in that district um, where I believe, you know, Dripping Springs is looking kind of nice. And 
I don't think Anderson would ever be like Travis, but at least they're a competent team. I, I'm I'm a little bit worried about the Cavs, uh, both in the short term and the long term, and just wanted to vocalize that because we talk a lot about Westlake and rightly so, because I do think that they are one of the two best programs in the state just out and out. But their counterpart, like Travis, really kind of unraveling his been a bit of a downer to be completely honest and if you didn't see they lost to Cibolo Steel 35 to 28 this past week in week two which I do think that Steel team is good but at the same time after we've seen Austin area elite teams beat San Antonio for the past five or six years it's it's a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow I imagine in Lakeway. Well a guy and I saw Lake Travis in week one against Martin and it just wasn't the Lake Travis teams you're used to seeing. They just didn't have the dudes that you're used to seeing Lake Travis have. And, uh, you know, they struggled against Martin. And again, I mean, I think it's the same as we've talked about with other, they played a tough schedule to start. I mean, those are two good teams, but Lake Travis is also at the level where they should be playing at the level, if not above both those teams. Absolutely. One, one more quick thing before we move on, Mike, you saying that, just y'all saw Lake Travis and it didn't look like a Lake Travis team. If I'm asked to really say when I knew things were going downhill, do y'all remember a clip from last year when Noble Johnson from Rockwell really broke out onto the scene? And it is a clip of him running a uh, hitch and go. And as he starts to hit his stride on the go portion, he just tosses a Lake Travis cornerback out of bounds. It was a pretty viral clip. And I guess what I'm getting to is there was some troll stupid fan that said, oh, of course he's going to do that. He's playing against a JV team. Look at that kid. And I thought to myself, when on earth would you have ever seen a comment like that talking about Lake Travis during their during the drive for five? Like for somebody to just assume that a Lake Travis kid is some, you know, JV, you know, uh, oh, who's Arch Manning playing that type of stuff. I mean, that was kind of a wake up call. Um, all right. I'll move on to mine. Uh, I saw Byron Nelson last week and they put up a pretty impressive uh, win over uh, McKinney Boyd. I think this is bringing a little bit of our conversation from group texts and phone calls to uh, to the air, but I really think Byron Nelson is a sleeper. I mean, we said this at State 7 on 7, hey, this Byron Nelson team looks like a sleeper. And I think if if memory serves, they made a pretty deep run in that tournament. Um, and I think that they're a state sleeper. I, I don't know that I would go all the way to uh, pick them, but I do think that they're a team that's going to make life hell for somebody in the playoffs. And they, we saw them do it last year to Denton Geyer. I mean, they pushed Denton Geyer to the limit. Uh, in a regional final, I believe. And I think they've got the pieces, not only on defense, when you look at guys like Ashton Williams and and David Cabongo, they've got a really interesting edge player uh, who I will not attempt to butcher his name on this podcast. Um, And then I think they've got some pieces on offense as well. They've got a quarterback um, that I think is a gamer and the type of guy that can uh, make plays with his legs and, and, and extend pockets and, and all those sorts of things. And they've got some weapons on offense as well. I really like them as a state sleeper this year. And I'm happy you mentioned the state seven on seven part, because even on our 
actual preview. I mean, we've been talking up Byron Nelson for a while. And considering this was a program that I think in like 2019 was one and nine, I, people kind of were a little bit skeptical. But I don't know. They showed out last year in the playoffs and kept that momentum rolling. Um, got any thoughts? I was trying to think. I was standing at Northwest ISD Stadium watching that game the other night, and I was like, when was the last time I was here? And then I remembered it was Southlake versus Byron Nelson a couple of years ago. It was about three days before Quinn Ewers decommitted from Texas. He gave me a great video of, of a hook on oh, in the end zone. Yeah. And, and uh, that's not true. Did we go last year? You and I saw Hazlitt Eaton and Timber Creek. That's right. That's right. We saw him during the color. Same season later on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, um, I think it was the last game of the regular season. There were some sort of playoff implications with if Timber Creek won, it would help Keller get in. There was some like three way tie or something like that. It was me, you, and Step. Yeah, guy playing the league course and not so fast. My friend Roll is uh, is correct here. We did see that, but it did take me back to that Byron Nelson game um, it, because that was when it all started kind of unraveling <laughs> with uh, with Quinn decommitting and things like and, that. So. And we'll hit on that journey being a specific things uh point for you later on in our talking texas episode um also i believe it's uh ezio sondu is the edge for byron nelson i'm glad you said it i didn't want to i didn't want to butcher the name but he, he's a really intriguing prospect i like jake wilson a lot um so yeah i I'll, i'm all in on the bobcats um and this week they've got a matchup against denton braswell which is going to be actually kind of fun Great measuring stick game for them. And, uh, you know, they've scheduled pretty strong early on in the in the season. So uh, I think it prepares them going into district. All right. Um, do we want to recap last week? Yeah, real quick. Uh, just any thoughts? Uh, I'll start off with Hightower Westfield. I think I mentioned it during the picks of just I thought this one was going to kind of be a bloodbath and it was nothing short of a bloodbath. P.J. Hatter looks really good for Westfield. We'll hit on – maybe how they match up with North Shore later on when we get to our picks this week. But I'm all in on Westfield, man. I really love that program. Their offense looks so much better in years past. And I kind of think that the same way that Kevin and, um, you know, Jay Walker, the former OC at Sock, uh, kind of elevated Sock, I think that you could see the same thing for Westfield this year with that offense just being on another level than previous years. Well, and, and Jay Walker's a Springfield – or he's a Westfield grad, right, Mike? Yeah, he is. Yeah. I, I do always love Westfield. They're always – they get me every year in the playoffs because I just look at their matchups and think, well, Westfield's going to be tougher than any of those teams. And they're, they're traditionally one of those teams that can stare down anybody – and not really be afraid. They don't get intimidated when they play teams like North Shore. And so I think when you add in their elevated offense, that that makes them a really dangerous team. Um, the Orange Bowl was probably the game of the week in our picks. Atascacita, Katie, has a shot. That was a one-possession game. But Thursday night was a banger in Bridge City between the Batlin Bears and the West Orange Stark Mustangs. Um Y'all any have y'all have any takes on that before we move on? I think well, when Hudson was dealing with a severe case of FOMO that night. Oh yeah, for time. the adults who don't know the acronym, but um, 
Yeah, I think it, if anything, it just kind of the thing Hudson and I kind of talked about with the history of the two programs. If anything, it just shows that the gap is closing between the two, at least for now, um, and that LCM is very much competitive with the Cornerstone program and West Orange Stark at this point. One of the rare games where it feels stock up for both, right? Yeah. yeah. Both of no, I don't think it was anything against, uh, against Wasp, but yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, Atascacita Katie was the one game last week that we were different on. Y'all went with Katie. I went with Atascacita. I'll be honest. If I had to do it all over again, I'd pick Atascacita again. I went back and rewatched that game. I don't know, man. I, I do think that Atascacita probably let that one slip away. But again, that's what happens uh, when you have to play Katie on the road. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a bigger blowout than it was. It's just kind of Atascacita will run up against those power schools in Houston, and it just can't quite get over that hump. But it is encouraging, again, probably a stock-up game for them despite a loss, uh, just seeing them battle with them. A Houston team that didn't have a stock-up game, the C.E. King Panthers, we all picked to beat the Allen Eagles. And I didn't make Allen one of my takeaways because I wanted to wait until this moment. Allen just beat the absolute shit out of C.E. King. And it's one of those ones to where it just snowballed, right? Where I I think that on a neutral field, or especially if you played the game in Houston, maybe this game is a lot closer, right? Because Allen really did have one of the worst offensive lines that I've seen from them in years. Like it got to the point to where C.E. King, I think, finished with six or seven sacks. They had so many tackles for loss. But um, (laughs) when it really came down to it, it was just, they weren't ready for the moment and it sucks because I like that program a lot. I thought Dylan Spencer had a good game. There are a lot of guys on that CE King team, uh, Levante Johnson, Joe Sion Landry that I like a lot, but they weren't ready for the moment and they got down, I think 42 to nothing pretty damn quick. So how, how did they produce that on defense yet fall? So, you know, how, how that game break down, how's Allen doing their damage despite not protecting? Scheme specific, it was one of those things to where in the first half, Allen's coaching staff and credit to them on offense figured out that if they ran outside zone, they could kind of, or honestly, at at times it got to inside zone. They just figured out how to manipulate CE King's second level. And I'm blanking on the running back's name and I hate it because he had such a great night and I was sending text about him to basically every group text I'm in, but uh, it's, he has a Texas Tech and Minnesota offer, but this kid, when he got to the second level, he's a you know track uh, level, like track speed caliber athlete, and he would just take off. So he finished with 250 plus yards, and basically again, like they were creating a ton of disruptive plays. But they get into a third and 22. Uh, oh, Kavion Sibley, thank you, Mike. Uh, they would get into a third and 22 guy and. they'd give Sibley the ball and he'd just go for a score. Right. And then I believe the CE King offense crossed midfield once uh, for the two and a half, three quarters to where it was semi a game. So in addition to losing like on offense, they also were losing the field position battle to the extent to where Mike Hawkins and crew really only had to drive 40 yards in to get quick scores. So what you're saying is they ran the touchdown play effectively. Uh, facts. 
All right. Did, well, <laughs> wait, real quick. Didn't Guy or Lito is exactly what oh, we yeah. thought. I'm glad, I'm glad that we all got a very easy game to where, we, you know, it stinks sometimes when you're like, oh, yeah, I think this game's going to be a blowout. And then you have people in the mentions being like, oh, you thought that one was – no. Didn't Guy or did what we thought they would. Yeah, I don't think there's much more to say there. We're pretty worried about Alito. Talk about another 582 team with some offensive uh, issues um, and a lack of identity is not something we're used to seeing out of Alito offensively. Um, and then Geyer's just, you know, kind of looks like a wagon. Yeah. Um, real quick before we get into it, do we like the wheel method or do we want to go with something else? I like the wheel. Okay. All right. Well, with that, we are going to go to our picks. Guy, take us there. All right. Yeah. Uh, we already mentioned it, but quick recap Hudson's eight and two going into this week. Mike, you're seven and three. I'm six and four. Uh, our first game of the week for a five game slate uh, will be Thursday night, where I believe Mike and myself will be at. Uh, we've got the Lucas Lovejoy Leopards traveling all the way across from one corner of the DFW area to the other uh, to face off with the North Crowley Panthers. Lovejoy enters this game as 1-1 one and one with their record, and North Crowley is 2-0. and oh. uh, The game is 7 p.m. Thursday at the brand-new, beautiful Crowley ISD Multipurpose Stadium. Uh, Lovejoy enters this game as an 11-point favorite. Um, and really, just from a game standpoint, I'm really excited to, to get down uh, to the Crowley area and see the, the new digs that Crowley ISD has and then kind of see what that all entails. Um, it looks like the wheel has spun, and Mike, you will go first. I will follow, and Hudson will uh, finish us off for this game. Let me tell you, as a guy that just until recently lived in Crowley and then had to drive to Lovejoy on occasion, that is a long way from one corner of the Metroplex to the other. Um Hudson, a couple of weeks ago, you were over at my house as we were packing it up. We went to go pick Matt Step up from the airport. And on the way home, I said, do you want to go see the new Crowley ISD stadium? And we pulled up. And I mean, this was a week or two before the season was set to start. And it did not look finished or close to finish. There were still a lot of like, uh, you know, your, your construction gates up and all those sorts of things. And uh, it turns out it got pushed past the, uh, the season debut and on to this week for the debut. So I'm interested to see how it is. As, you, as I illustrated to you, Hudson, it, there's not an easy way in and out of that stadium. So I think traffic's probably going to be a nightmare. Oh, um, yeah. But let's get to the game. I think North Crowley is a team that really grabbed our attention when we saw them in a preseason scrimmage against Mesquite Horn. They've got some interesting athletes. I think their, their offensive scheme is pretty sound. Uh, some good players on defense. They're well coached. All those sorts of things, and they're two and zero. I loved what they looked like coming off week one. A little shakier against Arlington High team week two with a three point win. Um, Lovejoy, on the other hand, looked incredible in week one. Looked incredible offensively in week two uh, in a loss to Argyle, uh, but but really couldn't stop Argyle. Um, that said, I do think that the weapons Lovejoy has are just too much. For this North Crowley team that's still pretty young, um, you know, Samaje Burrell, kind of the elder statesman on the crew, but uh, they start a sophomore quarterback. They've got several sophomores in the secondary. 
Um, they are a young team. I'm going to lean with Chris Ross and the Lovejoy Leopards uh, in this one, probably I would say by two, two or three scores. Yeah, Mike, I don't disagree with anything you had to say. Um, you and I, well, and Hudson for one of the scrimmages, we saw both these teams play in their uh, preseason scrimmages. Um, and in both cases, both teams, North Crowley won theirs against Horn, I'd say, and then Lovejoy more or less dominated McKinney. Um, and really, they did it in different in different ways. But I think for what I'm excited about tomorrow is to kind of see the offense for both teams. Uh, I want to see Chris Jemerson, the quarterback at North Crowley, kind of do his deal in an actual game setting versus a scrimmage and kind of let him just be let loose. Um, and then, you know, you've got the wide receiver core over at, at uh, Lovejoy that's probably one of the best in the state, if not the best. Um, Kyle Parker putting up just absolutely video game ridiculous numbers a week ago. Um, what mind seeing that again? Um, Parker to Livingstone is the real deal as well. And, and Lovejoy, while they can score a lot on offense at some point, they're going to have to uh, stop some people on defense as well. So maybe Peyton Pierce returning helps that cause uh, to some extent, um, at least in the middle of the defense. Um, so, you know, there's some things to look for in this game that are intriguing. Uh, despite North Crowley being the bigger school and, and the quote-unquote bigger program, I think Lovejoy is the better program at this point as Ray Gates tries to build the Panther program at North Crowley. Uh, so with all that in mind, give me Lovejoy. I think they'll cover the 11-point spread that DCTF's computer provided, uh, but I think it'll be a fun night nonetheless. Um, so that's my thoughts. Guy, I think you nailed like that entire analysis from start to finish, to be completely honest. Getting Peyton Pierce back is so big. I think that if North Crowley is going to win, it needs to be the Chris Jimerson statewide breakout game. Like we like him a lot. Mike kind of put me on to him as a sophomore quarterback to watch. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things to where we're going to find out about Lovejoy. They got punched in the mouth by Argyle last week. Yeah. Kyle Parker, you said video game numbers, which is correct, but 23 receptions gets to the point where you're like playing a video game against somebody and you're like, come on, dude, like they wouldn't do this in real life. And Kyle Parker was just like, oh, F it. Like, nah, I'm, I'm him. It's, it's like Heisman mode where you're just spamming the one guy so you can win the Heisman. I yeah. Mean, it's, or, or, it's, it's, it's ridiculous type stuff. Or like how 13 year old me would imagine calling games for Calvin Johnson in Detroit, where I'm like, oh, I guess you just throw him the ball every Keep play. throwing it up. Yeah. Um, I like Lovejoy. I think that they get it figured out. Like you said, guy, getting Peyton Pierce back is just going to solidify that defense so much. Even, even if they still struggle, struggle in the trenches, at least that's somebody on the second level that can help clean things up. Correct. So you're taking Lovejoy. Yep. I think we all have Lovejoy. We all have Lovejoy. Okay. All right, uh, moving to Friday night, um, a little bit south of, of our first game. Um, let's see, 7 p.m. Friday at Galena Park ISD Stadium. Uh, we've got the Spring Westfield Mustangs, who are 2-0 uh, after two weeks of football, uh, traveling short distance over to face off with another set of Mustangs, the Galena Park North Shore Mustangs, who are also 2-0 after a scorching hot start to the season. Um we covered Westfield a week ago, um, and they continue on their hot start. Two of the better programs in the Houston area. Um, let's see, the wheel has chosen Hudson to go first. Mike, you'll follow, and I will do the final recap 
here. So Hudson, uh, take take it away. One of the more intriguing parts about this game, I, I think Mike kind of nailed it in the lead up to this talking about Westfield of they're a team that's not afraid of anybody. They're going to, you know, they're going to be able to punch teams in the mouth and there's not a better example of that to me than last season when Westfield gave North shore, the six, a D one champions, their only loss of the season. Like this is a spot to where, again, we talk a lot about how, okay, if that moment was too big for CE King or is the like, Westfield's walking into this game feeling like they're a better version than last year and knowing that they punked North Shore last year. That being said, I do have the east side of Houston Mustangs, the North Shore Mustangs, taking the win. But I'm really starting to talk myself into Westfield making a legit run in the playoffs. Like, it's getting to the point with Region 2 kind of being as funky as it is. Like, I I think that – I mean, I don't even know if I necessarily want to say this, but I don't know. I'm thinking this could be a preview of eventual state title game. What a what a weird state title game that would be of two two Houston teams playing in Dallas and AT and T. I'd uh, I'd be interested to see the matchup. I last year we had this game in our pick'em, and I want to say I was the only guy on the on the show to pick Westfield uh, just because of my belief in. The fact that they don't typically flinch when they see teams like this and they're in Westfield, probably under the radar is one of the most athletic teams year in and year out, which is even their guys who aren't necessarily big time recruits. You know, they've got really good high school football players on their team year in and year out. They're well coached. Um, All that said, I think that North Shore is just on a different level this year um, than what they have been. Um, And I I think at home matters uh, in this one. I'm going to go with uh, with North Shore to pull off the victory. Yeah, because we put this game in last second. No, I actually forgot to put the um, the line, but North Shore is a nine point favorite, whatever that's worth. Um, uh, that feels far, right to me. I don't know about y'all. That feels right. Yeah, that feels about right. Uh, the game last year was a 27-21 final in, in favor of Westfield. Um, I, I think y'all hit on all the main talking points for this game. You know, I, I think Mike is 100% right. Westfield is one of the few programs in Houston that can not only match, um, you know, mostly prospect for prospect to some extent, you know, with North Shore. Um but just the athleticism and the type of program, they're, they're similar. Um, and they don't flinch. They bring a certain attitude and energy uh, to high school football. So they're a good mix for each other in this game. I, I do think North Shore is just on a different level at this point. Um, but I do love seeing P.J. Hatter continue to play well. I know Hudson and I talked about him quite a bit last week on the pod. Hudson kind of recapped it again this week. Um, so that, that's kind of a fun name to keep watching. And I think he really is going to keep fueling the Mustangs as the season goes on. I just don't think it's enough um, this particular Friday. So give me North Shore. Before we move on, if Spring Westfield goes into Galena Park ISD and beats them for a second straight regular season, what would be y'all's immediate reaction? I would still have North Shore as the prohibitive favorite yeah. six eighty-one, yeah. but I would feel – much better about your feeling about West okay. being a state 
a state contender. That's what I was going to ask. Would it be enough, though, knowing that we already think this is a much better team and kind of our thoughts on Duncanville, DeSoto, more than likely going D2? Would it be enough for you to be like, well, if Southlake goes D2, they're probably the favorites coming out of that side of the bracket? Yeah, I think so. I I mean, it, it would all depend on how, how that region uh, kind of breaks down. But, yeah, I, I mean, I think they're dangerous. And I got caught last year thinking they would beat DeSoto because I had the same belief sentiment. And to DeSoto's credit, a team that, you know, oftentimes gets picked on for not showing up in big games, DeSoto kind of took it to them in the playoffs. But um, I, I still think Westfield is a team that nobody really wants to see uh, come November and December. Yeah, and if this was to be a state championship, the first thing that came to mind for me was the 3AD1 2010 game between Chapel Hill and Henderson, where you got oh, yeah. two of the same uh, two teams from the same region uh, playing each other at Jerry World. So, a um, little bit different stage and different types of schools, but same type of flavor. Um, that would be kind of fun to see. Absolutely. A little bit of bragging rights on the line. One thing uh, for sure here the red and black Mustangs are going to pull off a victory this week you can't go wrong with that it's a bad mascot game and a bad color game a lot, a lot of similarities hard on the eyes what if they both um, decide to wear uh red oh. <laughs> yeah that brings me back to the lancaster game this past week mike we had orange on gold it just yeah. wasn't ideal yeah, i don't yeah, like when teams yeah. do that but yeah. to each their own okay uh our third Third game of the slate this week is a, a fun rivalry game. Uh, just a fun high school football game with, with some rising recruits as well. Uh, 7.30 p.m. Friday at Canyon High's Cougar Stadium there in the New Braunfels Comal area of Central Texas. We've got the New Braunfels Unicorns, who are 2-0, um, taking on their crosstown rival, the New Braunfels Canyon or, or Comal Canyon Cougars, who are also 2-0. Uh, the Unicorns enter this game as an 18-point favorite. Um, the wheel has spoken. I'll go first. Hudson will go second. Mike will go third. Um, I'll keep this short. I, I don't know a ton about either team at this point. Um, I know MB High's uh, impressive win against Denton Ryan means something uh, from week one. I don't know a whole lot about them, but that was a gutty effort. And I know they're kind of trending in the right direction after a, a decent year a year ago. Uh, and then as far as Comal Canyon goes, uh, you've got the Adams twins who are Mike Adams' sons, um, the uh, former Texas great wide receiver from the McAvick era in the 90s. So you've got Deuce and you've got Eli. One's quarterback, one's a receiver. Um, as you two know, I'm very high on both of them, especially Deuce. Uh, I think he's a quarterback to look out for in the class of 2024. Um, and his brother's a pretty good receiver as well. So um, with all of that in mind, I'm probably going to roll with the home team here and roll with the twins. Uh, give me Comal Canyon. Um, I don't know what to think of the, of the spread here, but yeah, just, just give me Canyon. Why not roll with, roll with my loyalty to Deuce and Eli. I love it guy. It I've mentioned this before. Guy put me on Deuce Adams last year and really one of my favorite prospects in the 24 class. Love him a ton. Texas has hosted him on multiple visits. Like AJ Milwee, Steve Sarkeesian are evaluating him as a potential take in the 24 class. So as far as 
Texas related storylines for the, uh, you know, Texas high school football pick them games. That's one to watch. That's a guy in state that I do think Texas fans should keep an eye on. And he's had a blistering start to the year. That being said, unfortunately, I am rolling with the unicorns because they beat Denton Ryan. Like it's one thing, like it's one thing to want to go with your guys, but like I, I, I was following New Braunfels shock at Denton Ryan. So I, I can't go against the unicorns here. First of all, I would say that if I'm Canyon, I would demand to only be called Comal Canyon because that sounds way better than New Braunfels Canyon. Disagree. Oh, uh, Comal, it's such a great word. You know, it's, it's every time you go to the Comal River. I think they're Comal Canyon if you're local. I think they're New Braunfels Canyon on like a statewide. You know how they do like Dallas Highland Park or, yeah. you know. I like Comal. I mean, I think Comal sounds awesome. Austin Lake Travis instead of just Lake Travis, you know, on the statewide perspective, they get changed for whatever reason. Second of all, like I've been a true believer in Deuce Adams from day one, as Guy can attest to. It's true. I mean, very true. I'm not Guy, but I mean, I will have your back here. It, it was a press box find. Yeah. Yeah. It was a Guy press box find. And we're joking because guy tried to show him to me at the same time to choice was being hired as the running back coach. And I did not have time to watch 2024 quarterback at the moment. And so he's been on me ever since that time. Um, that said, once I did get around to watch him, I did really like him um, like what he brings to the table. And I'll tell you this, Travis Bush, their head coach is a really un- good sneaky underrated, like great offensive mind in the state. I don't know what to make of an 18-point spread for the Braunfels. Um, I get they beat Denton Ryan. I'm not sure I can go in all in on that. Give me those Comal uh, Canyon Cougars. And, no, and I love on it. On the arm of Deuce, uh, Deuce Adams. I love it. And speaking of Coach Bush's staff, uh, Mike Adams is, I believe, the offense coordinator and passing yep. game coordinator for their Canyon Cougar staff. So. Um, a lot, lot of, a lot of good ties to the staff and, and a couple of players on the rise. What, one more, one more, just matchup specific thing. I think the reason why w- this spread is so high is because while we absolutely are in agreement that on the offensive side of the ball, Canyon is like they're throwing it, slanging it. They're 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 awesome. They gave up 42 to Corpus Christi Vets Memorial and 29 to a Victoria East squad. That's not so great. So I think that's more the reason than anything. Yeah, and that's fair. Um, like I said, outside Twins, I don't know a whole lot about this team. I, I watched a little bit of their game last week. I need to go back and finish it. But, um, yeah, it, that's that's probably fair. And you got to think that the DCTF computer also probably weighs – um, New Braunfels uh, week one went against Denton Ryan pretty heavily in their Big system. Time. And so that probably skews the data a little bit one way. And, and they, against Seguin, who's a pretty decent squad, they beat them 31 to seven last week, right? So right. It, it's a little bit of just, I think, the computer um, taking that into account. And, you know, it's one of those things where it might be a faulty data set too, guy, because we're now we're really nerding out. But you might remember Seguin 
had a win over Alamo Heights to start the year, but that was an Alamo Heights team that had like what 28 kids out due to a hazing scandal. Right. So the computer obviously isn't factoring in that 28 players are gone for uh, Alamo Heights. So it just sees that as, Oh wow. Seguin, the Matadors who are a major underdog beat Alamo Heights. Let's factor that in. So I think that's probably why the um, number is a little bit higher than we'd think. So again, it's not against the spread, but as we kind of have hinted, we're doing a lot of against the spread talk because it adds context. Like a plus 18 feels like a, a great pick. Mm-hmm. Mike, you got something? No. Uh, go, let's go on ahead and move on to the next one. Okay. Uh, 7 p.m. Friday uh, at Dick Biven Stadium, all the way up in the panhandle of Amarillo, Texas. You got the Odessa Permian Panthers, who are 2-0. and Traveling north to take on the Amarillo Tascosa Rebels, who are two and zero as well. Um, two really good West Texas programs. One a little bit more historically based. One a little bit more current. Um, but either way, DCTF Computer has as a true pick'em game. You don't oh, see I that very it. often. So anytime that does happen, I feel like it's worth noting. Uh, the wheel has spoken. Hudson will go first. I will follow, and Mike will finish us up on this number four game. The wheel loving Mike tonight. Mike gets three straight closeouts. That's that. I mean, that's some pretty fun stuff. Here, here's yeah, you know. How I was I thinking, think. where do I want to be on the wheel? And at first, I was like, man, I want to get my points off before other people get their points off. And then I'm like, no, you want to go last because. Yeah, I was about to say, I feel like going last is by far the best because that's how you can really uh, maneuver. But Well, we all know who you know who would pick as far as his place. He did it quite often a year ago, in (laughs) fact, and it didn't work out too well. So, anyway, (laughs) sure, Um, that name drop. um, Odessa Permian, Amarillo Tascosa. I – y'all know this. I do not care for – the kind of more archaic offense is a ton, right? But I have a couple exceptions. And on that list of exceptions are the Amarillo Tascosa Rebels along with the Franklin Lions, a couple other, but Amarillo Tascosa, I love the way they play. They are so much fun. And while you don't have a King Doru, you don't have a major Everhart on this year's team. They went and they smacked Midland Legacy, who I thought a lot of in week two. So because of that, I think that I think that they get it done and they beat both of the West Texas power programs. So give me the Rebels. Yeah, this is a um, Tascosa team that I'm more just looking at scores to know something about. Because outside of Avion Carter, I don't know a whole lot about this. Who I believe might be injured. I, I'm not sure exactly how long he's out, but I believe that he, he has a little bit of an injury. Okay, well, that's that's good to know. Uh, you know, in years he was past, gone, you he had, was gone for last week as well, I think. Oh, really? Okay. Mm. Well, in years past, you could you could name off Joe Plunk, uh, Coach Ken Plunk's son, who was at quarterback, did a great job uh, orchestrating that offense of theirs. Yeah, Brandon White, who's now at Baylor, I believe, speed guy that uh, played both ways. King Doru is a great name. Pool Hudson, I believe he's still at Purdue. Yeah, and he um, was great. He was awesome. Um, I used to talk to Mike about him. I don't know what Mike's thoughts were, but I liked him. I thought he was fun. Um, so they've had guys in the past. All those guys are gone now except Avion, and it sounds like he may not even play. Um, in regards to Permian – 
you know, you've got, um, I don't know. They're just not what they were. Harris Sewell. Uh, Harris Sewell. And I actually was one of his first interviews a couple of years ago. And that was rough. Uh, I, in fact, I may have been his first ever interview is at, um, at next level athletes camp in 2020, I believe. So we've come a long way from, from that point. Now he's, you know, in his current situation, his recruitment, he's committed to Clemson, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. A lot of things change in a couple of years. I don't know anything else about Permian outside of that. Uh, so at this point, give me the more current uh, program that's on a on a stronger trajectory. And I guess give me the Rebels of Tesco. So to, to win at home, you know, I'd like to think maybe that plays into it as well. I will say this guy has this weird, like he could, he could probably like list a, I was randomly like this kid's first interview and guy does this like part-time, like on a basis, but he's got a. Marion like, Peterson, the USC uh, commit uh, from Hershey, probably the one that I love the most for this <laughs> year's cycle. Jeray Bledsoe when nobody knew who he was. Yeah. yeah Jeray and I had a off, um, yeah, I just went over there and asked him what the situation was, and I don't even know he knew what the idea of recruitment was at that point. He told me he had some mail from A&M, and I was like, well, do you have any interest in playing? And he kind of gave me a look like, no. And I was like, okay, I guess that's all we'll do here. And then I look up a month later and Baylor's offering them. So, yeah, I've had some weird encounters with kids over the years, no doubt. I uh, This is going to be uh... – Probably a quick game, I would say. <laughs> yes. Not many passes, so not many clock stoppages. Um, I think that uh, if you love old school West Texas, you know, physical football, this is this is your game. You guys mentioned Harris Sewell is, plays a big part in that for Permian. We all know the history of Permian. You know, I mean, I, I – I don't know that the craze around Texas high school football would be what it is right now if it wasn't for Friday Night Lights. Like everybody knows Permian for that and their tradition, their history is what it is. But I mean, really over the last decade or so, Tuscosa has been the better program. And I think on the road is tough. I think I'm not quite buying in on Permian yet this season. Um, so I'm going to uh, fill it in and we'll uh, all pick Discosa here. One more thing before we move on. I think a lot of listeners might be like, okay, if y'all all three are picking Tuscosa, they beat Midland Legacy, who was presumed to be the much better squad than their rival Odessa Permian, then why is this a pick Well, something that we forgot to mention off top, Emerald Tuscosa is a 5A D1 program and Permian and Midland Legacy are both 6A squads. So that's that's probably the interesting thing here is that not only do they have a chance to get the double, but at a significant disadvantage as well. Yeah, and the result against Legacy was a big reason I'm, I'm leaning on Tuscosa. I thought yeah. that was a really – maybe probably outside of maybe New Braunfels beating uh, Denton Ryan, the most impressive <laughs> win of the season. Agreed. If we didn't have them on the pick that was going to be my takeaway because it's not only that you're beating a legacy team that we both, that all three of us liked a lot. It's that you beat them by 21 points. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think all of us had legacy as, you know, if they weren't our favorite, they were in the conversation for a region. Yeah. Favorite. And um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. 
Atascacita is not that far removed from, or not Atascacita, Atascosa is not that far removed from being in 6A themselves. That King Doru brand of white team a couple years ago oh, went yeah. to a state semifinal against Longview at Jerry yeah. World. So they're used they to that interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting game. Uh, you get a, an old school power versus more of a new school power out west. So intriguing. Um, and it looks like we're all rebels here. So uh, we'll move on to our fifth game of the week, our small school game of the week as well. Um, 7.30 p.m. Friday out in the woods at Mickey Mains Tiger Stadium in Dangerfield, Texas. Elite name. Yeah, it is an elite name. And it was a cool place. Went there a week ago. Uh, the Timson Bears, who are 2-0, Hudson's favorites, uh, will take on the Dangerfield Tigers, who are 2-0 as well. Dangerfield enters the game as a 10-point favorite. Um the wheel has spoken. Hudson will go first once again. I will go second. And Mike somehow will go third uh, for a third straight game. The wheel Hudson is just. Boy. Yeah. The, the wheel's just. Disclaimer, yeah. the wheel is just. But also, Mike, great luck for you this week. Here's what I'll say about this game. Timson being the 2A Division One number one team in the state, like they're not going to be dogs against many people. But this Dangerfield squad, I believe 3AD2, number three in the state, right? So this is, while we've talked about both of these teams on, you know, the last two editions of the state of recruiting, we have to talk about this game because it's by far the best small school matchup. And when you have Bubba Hampton on the Dangerfield side, uh, Jacobian Rogers, who looked incredible, guy can speak on that more since he saw it in person. And then on Timson, you have a bunch of guys in Terry Bussey, Vosky Howard, and um, you know a couple of other freshmen that are intriguing for the Bears. Where it's just a really intriguing game that we've got to make some picks on. It's gonna be tough to do this. I hate it. I I, I was just tricking y'all. Sorry, I, I'm not picking against Timson. I'm picking the Bears. Oh. <laughs> just had just had to do a little tease. No, it's Timpson all the way. I they beat Wascom last year in a higher uh, top ten matchup, and I think they can do it again with Dangerfield. Yeah, so interesting game. You've got Dangerfield, the host team in this case, as the three A D two program going up against one of the better two A D one programs. So I don't know what the difference in numbers are per se from a football. Um, you know, team perspective, like as far as numbers on the team. Um, but I assume Dangerfield has a little bit more depth. Um, as Hudson said, I was out there this past Thursday, got to see Dangerfield in person. Jakevian Rogers was fantastic. Um, he still is on the lighter side from a weight perspective, but he has good length and he had game changing speed, uh, at least at that level that appeared to be pretty legit. Um, they got the ball to him in several different ways, but they did a lot of stuff in the quick game, just getting him the ball and, um, you know, quick little hitches and screen game and, uh, you know, give him credit for not being the biggest dude from a strength standpoint. He was stubborn as hell to bring down. He was really good after the catch. Um, and so he was a game changer. And then you've got Texas commit Aaron Hampton, uh, who also broke out in the second half for a 70 plus yard touchdown reception where he just ran up the seam, uh, split the Tatum defense in half, and, and the rest was history. Um, he's not playing much defense this year, which I find interesting. I wonder if that'll change later on in the season. But as of now, he's playing most of his damage out of the slot. 
Um, and I don't need to cover Dangerfield too much more. I touched on a lot of their guys a week ago, but they struggled to close out Tatum last week. It never felt like they were going to lose the game. Um, but that's something to kind of keep an eye on. Uh, there was a little bit of cons- inconsistency with them. So I guess give me Dangerfield, but I think this is a really fun small school East Texas t- game with a lot of athletes. Before we move on to Mike, I just want to mention you. I love the point you made about uh, Jacavian Rogers. Yes, he is real thin, but I don't know if you agree with this guy. That feels like somebody to where, yeah, it's going to take him two years to get up to college weight more than likely, but with current strength and nutrition programs at the collegiate level, it's not as big of a deal as it used to be. And I think that he's the type of player that people are going to see the finished product and be like, well, why weren't we after that kid? So he has this level of speed. He has the length. Why was nobody taking a shot on him when somebody like a Jeff Trailer at UTSA or one of those other programs really find a true stud? Because he looked great. But like you said, he is real thin. Again, not to put the kid on blast or anything, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was legitimately like 140, 145 pounds. Yeah, and I mean, I think he really is. You can see about every vein in his leg. Um, and I just wonder if genetics will play against him and some of that. I mean, he'll, he'll obviously be able to put on some sort of weight and muscle at the next level, but um, I know he visited or he was supposed to visit UTSA this past weekend uh, when UTSA hosted Houston. Um, that's a place he needs to lock down with at some point, I think, or a place like that. Um, he'd be a perfect fit for a program like that. And the East Texas staff that's a part of UTSA would take yeah. care of a kid uh, like Jakevian. Um, I don't know. They, they've got several players like that, Dangerfield, who are really good small school prospects, some of them a little bit younger. Um before I let Mike take over, Deco Wright or DeCorian Wright, the running back, who I touched on last week, uh, was slippery as hell against Tatum and just a really tough runner. He's a small school prospect and a senior, so he, he is kind of what he is at this point, but uh, or another really fun name. So, um, yeah, Mike, it, it's your turn. Um, just while we're on the subject of uh... – you know, small receivers and what he could profile as. I was watching that Houston and uh, UTSA game and, you know, came away extremely impressed with the way Tank Dell played for Houston. And that's a guy that was 5'10", 155 out of high school. You could absolutely see him playing that type of role for a program sure. like Houston or somebody like that. Um, Hudson, I really wish you would have picked uh, picked Dangerfield here. Oh, are you picking Timson? Because I wanted to create some separation. And there's a couple of reasons why. I think one thing, if you guys mentioned it, I, m- I might have missed it. But I think an interesting data point is that if you look at Timson's schedule, they smoked a Beckfield team that people expected that to be a really good game. Yeah. And then they went and beat 3A D1 Jefferson last week uh, pretty handily by uh, 30 or 20 points or so. So they've proven they can play up against competition. The other reason is, look, Hudson, you're my, you're my good friend. I want nothing but the best for you. And I just see this vision of Timson just mowing down 2A all the way to a redemption tour. And, and Terry Bussey cementing himself as a Texas high school football legend in the likes of Rashad Paul or guys like that at the smaller school level. So I can see it if I close my eyes hard enough. 
I think if you really, if we look at the data points of what Timpson has done in their first two weeks, Dangerfield 2 0, sure, great. Struggled a little bit with Gladewater in a tight game. Like great guys, point. Guys said struggled to put away Tatum. I'm taking Timpson in this one. I, I love it. I will say this, by the way, real quick as well. I wanted to mention this in my point and completely blanked on it. If there was a DCTF high school football computer over under, you might have to set that total at like 113 points. Like both of these teams can get after it on the offensive end. I love it. Might go in with Timson. This is, I mean, this is probably one of the more intriguing games because again, with Shiner dropping a game to 3A Hallettsville, if Timson can go back-to-back weeks, and yeah, Jefferson didn't have Cameron Williams, who's a really talented running back, but that's st- like even with him, I don't think that is a twenty-point gap being closed. All right, well, let's uh, before we get out of here, we are going to quickly touch on some other games that we didn't put on the Pick'em slate. Uh, we talked a lot about Sock and DeSoto. That's going to be Saturday at five p.m., and that's a big reason why. Four Texas commits will not be able to make yeah. it to the game on Saturday. If y'all were to give a pick, just out of curiosity. I, uh, now I'd pick Soto. Yeah, it's hard. I would too. What we've seen from Sock offensively, it's really hard to lean on them unless they've managed to fix those issues in one week. I'd, I'd have to probably lean to Agreed. Them. That's why I didn't push. For, we talked about in the group text, but for the listeners, that's why I didn't push for the Sock to Soto game to be in the pick them. And I know that a lot of people will be like, wait, this is the game that before the year y'all were talking about is the one you were looking forward to the most. It's right after Texas Bama. You're going to be there. It's hard to get. It's hard to get up for this one. Like yeah, with Sox really- offensive struggles and knowing that DeSoto just got their doors blown off by a national top five team and is going to probably be focused and ready to roll. And and, and again, if Sock can't answer score for score, it could it could get ugly. Yeah, and I that's that's the problem I have. I think that DeSoto can create offense and they can create it quickly with Jonte Cook. And so yeah, yeah. yeah, I just it's tough before the season, you know, I thought things go right. You know, this could be a really impressive sock win. And now it's oh, yeah. it's hard to see an avenue towards it. But you know, I know those coaches for soccer. Uh, they're not panicking. Um, if for you sure. talk to them, you know, they're like, we, we've been here before. We were, we were down before we'll, we'll bounce back, you know? So who knows? Maybe they, maybe they get it figured out this week. Uh, Guy, do you want to weigh in any more on that before we go to the other one? Yeah. I mean, I think talking, t- talking to Kyle Ward, DC, and then talking to our buddy, Zach Collins, um, and even like Ellis Wheatfall and, and some of the guys just running into them after the game last week, um, this pro like program and this staff relishes in these moments. Like they want to go. Th- this allows that coaching staff to now coach. Like the the state championship tour and all that ended at the start of the season, but it's for sure over now. Now you're zero and two. Now the kids kind of have to take a step back and figure out who they really are. And you know that staff loves this situation now because now they can really step up really coach and you got no choice but to listen to us at this point. So I, I love that for them uh, just because I love that staff. And uh, I know they're not panicking. I don't think they expect to have all the issues sorted out this week. Um, so I'll pick the Soto at this point, but if Sock was to somehow turn this into a win, it would be a hell of a bounce back after the first two. Do you know how funny it would be if, and it's not actually 
really funny, right? Because these are like in real life friends, but for the podcast environment, if we rolled into next week and I put on the pick them parish Episcopal versus sock, I genuinely don't think I could do it. I would just lose all rational brain and I'd just pick sock regardless, but I don't know. I, that, that's something I'm a little bit worried about. Uh, last one, Alan Arlington Martin got pretty interesting after Alan blew, uh, you know, blew the doors off of CD King. And I don't know what to feel about Arlington Martin. They had another good result, but again, it's about a Cedar Hill team that I think we accurately diagnosed as a bit of a problem. And not in the, not in the current lingo of a problem, but in the old school dictionary definition of this team has problems. Oh my God, they might go four and six. Yeah, I, I want to know what Allen is because they've been a tale of two different games on the extremes, um, and we don't quite know. I mean, obviously, you play Bosco. That gets skewed. Uh, you know, Duck even went to state after getting dog-walked by modern day last year. So anytime you, <coughs> you play a team like that, it gets skewed, but then you play C.E. King and crush them. We don't really know what C.E. King is. I, I, I want to see, and I want to see the same from Martin. Is Martin ready to take the next step up and become a team that play for a regional final or, or possibly a state semifinal? I think, um, I think if Allen is able to uh, – Martin's Achilles heel is and always is their ability to manufacture offense in traditional ways. Yep. Where it, it, if Allen can do it, um, and they can do a little bit of what they did last week and get that run game going with, with KV on Sibley and, and Mike Hawkins gets hot and, and starts slinging it around. I think that they beat Martin, but uh, I'm interested. I, I want to see. I think this is the first real measuring stick for what is Allen this year. Man, that's exciting. I, I'm going to be following that game with a ton of intrigue on the sidelines of my game. Red Oak and Lake Belton on that Friday night, which I kind of wanted to put on the pick'em, but I don't know. I, it was almost one of those ones where I was like, "Oh, selfishly, I don't want to be covering that game and have to have a rooting interest." Right. Let me uh, remind Mike of something. I assume this game is going to be played at Choctaw. I know Martin's the home team. Yeah, I don't know if it's at Wildman or. And uh, well, they don't play games. They don't play at Wildman. They would so play. UTA it could be at Cravens. Um, but I, I would suspect it's at Choctaw, but either way, when it's in Arlington, Mike, you know, what's never free is the pizza, the pizza, no free pizza. And uh, at this point, Martin is who they are. They, they are the same product every year. They do their stick well and they do it consistently. Um, and Alan, we don't really know who they are at this point. So, um, I don't know. I guess if I had to pick one, I'd say Martin, but, um, yeah, Martin continues to put good, uh, good, good data points up and good results. And man, there's just no free pizza in Arlington ISD, Mike. It's a one point spread in favorite in favor of Martin. I would pick Allen, which you know, I, I again, maybe it's because I just watched them dog walk a CE King team that we all picked, but I don't know, man. I, oof. We're going to get caught chasing Allen this year. Well, no, I'm, I'm going to be so guilty of it. I'm, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm going to get them on every We're going to be a week box. behind every, every week. It's going to be like, well, I picked them to lose last week, so I'm picking them to win this week, and then they'll get yeah, let me Let me get ahead of this and say who the team that I'm going to – after they lose to Arlington Martin, hypothetically, who I'm then going to be like, oh, yeah, they're losing to. Didn't Braswell. That'll be it. Yeah. 
I'll be like at Denton Braswell, no way they win. And then they'll beat them 63 to nothing. Yeah. That that'll be the team we chase all year. Okay. Quickly. So we can wrap this up. Um, what are the plans for this week? I will start on Thursday. I'm going back uh, guys going with me. Uh, we're going to go see Lovejoy North Crowley at the new Crowley ISD stadium. Uh, interesting to see the stadium. It's supposed to be a kind of junior version of McKinney and Prosper mixed together. Um, looks great from the outside. So interested to see the inside, uh, on the field, of course, Samaje Burrell, uh, Parker Livingston, who we've talked about Peyton Pierce, who we've talked about that Lovejoy offense is just so fun, uh, with all those weapons, Kyle Parker, who 23 catches for 300 plus yards last week. Um, and by the way, Texas still keeping in contact there and, and keeping the lines of communication open. So a guy definitely for us to watch the LSU commit. Um, and then on Friday, I, I, it's weird. I'm still, I'm in this limbo of our move of where I'm living with my parents and we've got, we're in such transition. I, I'm trying not to get too far away from home on any given weekend. Um, so I'm going to go right up the street to a place I haven't been in a couple of years, I don't think. Uh, and that's Dragon Stadium in Southlake. Uh, I've, I've been wanting to go see the young tight end that, that Texas offered, Jack Van Dorsler and, you know, Riley Dodge, a, a good friend of ours and uh, a guy that I, I love and support. And so uh, I'm going to go see uh, Southlake Carroll uh, and see what, what the Cedar Hill team uh, that, that has been sputtering to start the season, what they can do. I'll go next. My Thursday, I've got Garland Lakeview Centennial against Rowlett. Excited to see Marcus Deal in action. Harris Boyd, the QB for Rowlett, I'm a little bit interested in. Not for Texas, but just to see maybe if he has a Division I uh, future. Friday, Red Oak Lake Belton, I'm pumped for. I really cannot wait for that game. I, it would, You've had it this would game be, pinned for like a month. And it almost – it almost feels unfair to everybody else that I got the added intrigue of Texas offering Warren Roberson, who we probably should have mentioned before this point, because not a ton of offers are going out, but Texas offered a safety in the 2023 class seems like a long time uh, USC lean, but Texas is going to make a late jump. And as I kind of mentioned earlier today, I guess when people are listening to this, as I mentioned, Wednesday, um, Somebody who I think there's a decent chance uh, goes to the Texas-Alabama game this weekend. So really intrigued to see that matchup. Micah Hudson, I have said it over and over again. He's my favorite player in the 2024 class in state. And honestly, out of all the wide receivers in the state, I'd probably take him uh, regardless. And then after the Alabama-Texas game on Saturday morning, I will head down to South Oak Cliff, DeSoto. All right, Guy, what you got going on this week? Yeah, so Thursday night I'm with you, Mike, for Lovejoy North Crowley. Um, I think Matt Stepp is joining us too, correct? Yeah, he will be there. It should be a fun affair in, in yeah. Crowley. So that'll, that'll be fun. Uh, Friday night, sticking local. Um, the game's not all that interesting, but the thing surrounding it is interesting, as um, or the, the fanfare and – um, publicity surrounding around here as Lake Highlands will make the short drive over uh, to Highlands. My squad versus so, your squad, some are saying. Yeah, Lake Highlands versus Highland Park. Um, as I mentioned in the first pod, 100th year of Highland Park football, um, all-time winningest program, yada, yada, yada. 
With that, though, it is a big night for the program as Matthew Stafford is coming home uh, and will have his jersey number retired. Um, and he, I think he'll actually be there with his family. Um, his mom and his sister and some of his other uh, family members are still in the area, but I think he plays tomorrow night um, on Thursday night football for NFL's action. So he'll he be does. He's going to go 0 1 to start. Yeah. This season, so. There you go. Okay. They, they play the Bills, don't they? They do. Yes. They do. Oh, they play Mike and I's Bills, although I just kind of claim that because Mike does. But um, <laughs> um, but that's what friendship is for. But uh, So he'll be there Friday. He's around more than people think, but he's typically kind of in the shadows and likes to keep a low profile. Uh, but he'll get his number retired, so there'll be a lot of pregame festivities and all that, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of people there because of it. Um, so I'll be there to cover that from just the high school football angle. Um, and then Saturday – uh, I'll be at the Texas-Alabama game in Austin, so I'll get up at 6 a.m. and make the drive down. And hopefully it doesn't get too ugly. I, I just want to see a, a hard-fought game, and hopefully they they make it somewhat um, digestible. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, can I get one more thing before we head out of here? Sure. Um, you know how you were saying with Crowley ISD, which you're correct, by the way, it quite literally was like it's supposed to be a smaller version of like Prosper or McKinney Stadium, right? Mm-hmm. So that just reminded me again, your statement factually correct, not what I'm saying, but it, it just reminded me of when people will like, like Prosper, McKinney, those are like some of the pinnacles right now of like modern Texas high school football stadiums. And so doing like a baby version of that, it reminds me of like when there's a prospect you like or a like G5 quarterback and you're like, oh yeah, Jordan Lynch from Northern Illinois. He's like the baby Tim Tebow. Or if there's like a high school quarterback that you think is intriguing, you're like, oh, he's baby Kyler Murray. Um, It just reminded (laughs) me of one of those comments. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, um, we're going to get you know who. Uh, one thing, uh, two corrections and one shout out because it's going to be a bit this season or this season. Uh, it wasn't 2005. It was 2003 that North Crowley won the state championship. Nobody remembers. I had the year wrong last week. I think that's topical because we'll see them tomorrow night. Um, number two, I guess it wouldn't be a Redskins hat that, that, uh, KD wears yeah, it would be Anders hat now. Um, and what then, he, what if he just went rogue though? <laughs> Still wearing the Redskins. <laughs> Honestly, if I was Kevin Durant, I would just stick with the football team. I, I truly do. I think the football team is the best of the three. Ab- absolutely. I just think it's kind of unique and cool. Um, and then, third shout outs: Abilene Cooper, great Chris Heron. I'm going to do that somehow. Sneak it in every week, and we'll see if he'll listen every minute and hear his name at the very end this week so anyway that's it for me all right well we appreciate you guys for listening for sticking with us uh for interacting with the show uh we will talk to you guys next week hopefully after a big texas victory for hudson sandish and got great drive mike roche we'll see you guys next week prayers <laughs>